Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities, from Kentucky Humanities, where we've been telling Kentucky stories for 45 years. Here is your host, Bill Goodman. Mary Todd Lincoln was sophisticated, educated, and well-versed in politics. On the surface, her success in the White House seemed assured. Yet few women in American history have endured as much controversy and tragedy. What do we not know about the life and times of Mrs. Lincoln? Are there new papers, letters, and documents that can give us more insight into her life? Why should all of us know more about Mary Todd Lincoln? The Mary Todd Lincoln House Bicentennial Symposium is a day-long event on November 2nd at the William T. Young Library on the campus of the University of Kentucky. Here to tell us more about the symposium and Mrs. Lincoln is Jonathan Coleman, curator and assistant director of Lexington's Mary Todd Lincoln House. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So... Are there new or untold stories about Mary Todd Lincoln that are important to all of us? I think there are new and untold stories. Mary Todd Lincoln lived a fascinating and a controversial life. So the stories that are often told, especially in public memory, Mary Lincoln is flattened out into a very sort of stereotypical story. But in reality, there are so many layers to that. And one of the beauties of the symposium is it will give us some time to dig deeper. Um, exactly what was going on in Mary Lincoln's life, what was shaping the events um, for which she had a front row seat. Um, it'll be a great day. One might um, surmise that uh, we know everything about her. Um, she's uh, the, the, the house uh, and the museum has been established here for, for decades. Uh, uh, that uh, books have been written, um, but you hope to bring in, and we'll talk about the scholars that are coming in to present mm-hmm. uh, papers and and be with uh, the public, uh, invited, by the way. General public is invited. Yeah. It's a free event. It is. And uh, once again, it's, uh, it is at the University of Kentucky's uh, William T. Young Library, and uh, I think you're asking people to go to uh, MTL House, uh, Mary Todd Lincoln House, dot org slash symposium and just reserve a seat or at least let people know that you're you're, you're going to be there. Is that right? Correct? There's a simple form that they can fill out to reserve a seat. You don't have to. Uh, this just uh, ensures that you have a place because we're expecting a big crowd. Tell us about um, what you hope uh, some of the scholars will uh, impart to, to the uh, the public uh, and to historians and to other scholars who will be in attendance. Wonderful. Well, we're hoping what happens with our three scholars, and we're sure we're going to achieve this, is they're going to look at Mary Lincoln's life as a lens into the United States um, in the 19th century, in the 1800s. And so looking at Mary Lincoln um, as a woman, uh, the topic of gender, especially her relationships with other women, uh, the women in her family, her sisters in particular, uh, we're also going to look at the topic of race. Uh, Mary Lincoln, of course, knew slavery as an institution extraordinarily well here in Kentucky. Uh, it was the political debate of her lifetime. Um, and, of course, her husband will have an immense role um, in that institution. Um, but Mary Lincoln, on a personal level, 
also experienced slavery, even within the White House. One of her closest relationships was with a formerly enslaved woman named Elizabeth Keckley, who was born the exact same year, 1818. Their lives could not have been more different, but yet they're brought together um, in sort of the powder keg that was the Civil War White House. So Jennifer Fleischner will talk about Mary Lincoln's relationship uh, with race in the 19th century. And then our Last scholar is Catherine Clinton. Catherine Clinton, a well-known Mary Lincoln biographer, is going to talk about Mary Lincoln in terms of public memory of her. How do we as a nation think about Mary Lincoln? And it's usually in some really terrible ways. Uh, fat, bad, and mad. Um, <laughs> the uh, Mad is uh, in that she insane. was in, 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 uh, institutionalized. Right, and she was. Mm-hmm. Um, she was institutionalized for about four months. Um, and so how does, um, how do Americans sort of interact, uh, respond to the story of Mary Lincoln? And they do so in some complicated ways. Historians respond to Mary Lincoln in some complicated ways. Uh, folks that uh, focus on her husband typically portray her in ways um, that historians of Mary Lincoln uh, find a bit simplistic. So, yeah, well, we'll talk about that. I'd like to hear you yeah. uh, talk a little bit more about that. But just for uh, listeners um, who may not have a a full background and knowledge of Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, give me just a quick snapshot of uh, her connection to um, Kentucky and to Lexington, and uh, we'll just start uh, there. Sure. Mary was born a Todd here in Lexington in 1818. Her 200th birthday is this December. Uh, Her family was well-established in Kentucky, had been for several generations. Um, Her father was born here in Lexington in the 1790s, educated at Transylvania, uh, becomes a businessman, will own one of the largest cotton mills in the South, uh, becomes um, a state representative, is in Frankfurt for 20-some years. Uh, She's growing up wealthy. She's growing up privileged. The Todds were close friends with Henry Clay. Um, She's well-educated. She goes to school both at Ward's Academy and then later famously as a teenager at Mentel School uh, for Young Ladies. Uh, She leaves Kentucky like a lot of Kentuckians did in the 1830s. In 1839, she goes to visit her older sister Elizabeth, uh, who had married the governor's son of Illinois. Uh, So Mary goes to Springfield uh, and she meets somebody. (laughs) And the rest is, uh, as the old cliche goes, is history. Do you know, or do we know, uh, how they met? Where was, uh, where was uh, the president at that time? And uh, he was in law practice. He was, uh, yeah. But, but the, the, the actual meeting, do we know? He was practicing law. Uh, by this time, we often think of it as a, uh, as a mismatch. But Lincoln had already become very well established in Illinois. He had already uh, tried cases in front of the Illinois Supreme Court Uh, His law partner, his first law partner, was actually Mary Todd's first cousin, John Todd Stewart. Uh, So Lincoln was absolutely surrounded by Todd's in Springfield. Uh, The story that Mary's niece told, uh, that she claims that Mary Lincoln had said, was that they met at a dance in Springfield. Uh, And it's quite a good little story. Uh, Mary Lincoln said that the first words Abraham ever spoke to her were, Miss Todd, I would like to dance with you in the worst way. And Mary said that's what he did. Uh, apparently, uh, she did not find him to be a graceful dancer. In his defense, though, he was 6'4", she was 5'2", so that's a little bit of a difference to uh, overcome there on the dance floor. Uh, but they had a lot in common. 
Uh, they loved uh, literature. They could quote pages of Shakespeare from the tops of their heads. They loved poetry, uh, Robert Burns in particular. In fact, they even wrote poems together as a courting couple, which sounds like a very romantic thing to do. But these were not love poems. They're political satires about Democrats. Uh, and this is something both of them had in common, a love of politics. In fact, Mary Lincoln, in one letter, she described herself as a fiery little wig. Um, so it's these things that they shared that a relationship was built out of. Did other women in, uh, in the public arena at that time speak like she did, uh, comment she was, like yeah. that phrase you just used? She was known uh, for her tongue. In fact, all the Todds were. Lincoln uh, once said of Mary's sister that she has a sharp tongue like the rest of the Todds. Mary was known for her um, conversation, being bright, being witty. Of course, she spoke fluent French. Uh, she was a voracious reader. Uh, in fact, Lincoln once said if Mary had read a book, he had no need to read it, but he trusted her judgment of it completely. Um, so she was a force to be reckoned with in Springfield society. How long did their courtship uh, last before they were married? Now, that's one of the big controversies, uh, the courtship. Uh, it may have been a long one, about two years or so. They may have broken up. There might have been a broken engagement. Historians still debate about this. Their actual engagement only lasted about two days. Mm. Uh, they married very quickly in November of 1842 uh, in the front parlor of Mary's sister's house in Springfield. Mm -hmm. And uh, where was um, her family at that time? That They were still here in Lexington. They were. And, and they returned here. Talk a little bit about that. So Mary's family, the Todds, will remain in on Main Street in Lexington in the Mary Todd Lincoln House until 1849. So it's um, several years after the Lincoln's marriage. The Lincoln's do come and visit them here um, in their West Main Street house in 1847. They stay for three weeks there. In 1849, a cholera epidemic sweeps through Lexington, though, kills hundreds of people. And Mary's father, Robert Todd, is one of those victims. Uh, so to settle his estate, the house on Main Street sold. Um, and the property sort of thrown to the winds. <clears throat> um, Mary has family that remains in Lexington, though, for the rest of her life. Uh, so her um, stepmother, um, siblings, um, cousins, in fact, Lyman Beecher Todd was postmaster of Lexington in the 1870s, 1880s. So her connections to Kentucky were always deep and always constant. And you see this even in Lincoln's administration. Uh, one of her good childhood friends was Cassius Clay. Uh, her husband makes him ambassador to Russia while he's president. So um, she did she come back and visit uh, without, the, the, uh, without her husband uh, for uh, a time, uh, for holidays or just family visits? Uh, and of course, they, they were in another house at that time. Well, she actually does, even while they're living in the West Main Street house. Uh, in 1847, during that three-week visit, the Lincolns are actually on their way to Washington. Lincoln has been elected to his first and what will be his only term in Congress. And so they're stopping by to see the family on their way. Mary was very unusual uh, to go with her husband to Congress, uh, as congressmen did not bring their spouses. Um, and they quickly learn why. Washington was crowded, dirty. They're living in a small rooming house. And so Mary and her two sons actually return back and live with the Todds for about a year 
while Lincoln finishes up his term in Congress. And some of the very, very little correspondence that exists between Mary and Abraham is written during that year while they're apart. So Mary's in the Mary Todd Lincoln house writing her husband, who's a young congressman. Why was it very little correspondence, or is it just correspondence that uh, hasn't been discovered, or, or did they not uh, Oh, no, write it was frequently? mostly destroyed. Uh, we know it was. Their one remaining son, Robert Lincoln, uh, destroyed most of their correspondence before his death. Why? He was a very private man. Uh, he was very, his whole family was uh, extraordinarily private. And so even his father's uh, professional papers, papers um, as part of his presidency, uh, were not able to be seen by the public until I believe it was the 1950s, the 1960s. Um, so Robert Lincoln, uh, his granddaughter probably said it best, Peggy Beckwith, she said, uh, I am as distant from that man as anyone else. Um, so they always lived um, in the shadow of Abraham Lincoln. So bring us um, uh, to, the, to the dates that, that are important. Um, we know that he was only served the one, one term. Mm -hmm. Where are we uh, in, in reference to uh, his election to the presidency? So it would be, oh, about 11 um, 12 years of wilderness <laughs> after his yeah, what uh, were congressional they doing? defeat. And, and where was Mary Todd during all of that time? Mary Todd was taking care of everything. Uh, Lincoln was a circuit lawyer, so he was out of town a lot. He was on the case. So their kind of business financial papers of the household, that's all Mary Lincoln. So she's doing all the purchasing. Uh, they do have servants in their house in Springfield, which she has to control. She's raising the boys. She's making sure they get educated. You know, they send their oldest son, Robert East, uh, to prep school and later Harvard. Um, and then in the 1850s, um, as slavery really heats up as a political question, Lincoln throws himself back into politics. Of course, he runs for senator uh, of Illinois. He doesn't win. Uh, he'll be defeated by one of Mary Lincoln's other suitors, uh, Stephen mm -hmm. Douglas. Mm -hmm. um, but, of course, that uh, series of debates is what sets him up. Uh, for his presidential run in 1860. Um, a bit of a dark horse candidate. Um, and of course, they moved to Washington in 1861. Was she, um, was she happy during those periods uh, leading up to, to um, 1860? Uh, uh, she was just playing mother and, and uh, housekeeper and uh, that sort of thing? She was busy. I don't know if she had much time to <laughs> to talk she about her feelings. Uh, she was always keeping up a, a robust correspondence. She was always reading. Uh, a lot of her correspondence includes political references. For example, she talks about the Know Nothing Party mm -hmm. in a letter to her sister, Emily. Mm -hmm. So she's keeping her finger on the pulse, and this is going to be true even after Lincoln's death. Mm -hmm. Mary's always going to know what's uh, up in Washington. Uh, she's extraordinarily happy about the election. In fact, Lincoln, when he found out he had won the election, the first thing he does is he says, I have to tell uh, Mary that we are elected. Uh, so she was looking forward to the White House. And how did she find Washington uh, at that time? Cold, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, she's not well accepted by Washington when she arrives. Uh, so she's coming in virtually an unknown with a virtually unknown husband. Of course, Lincoln had 
um, run a campaign as the rail splitter born in a log cabin. So a lot of folks expected Mary to be of a similar situation, which was not the case. She was growing up very wealthy among some of the nation's political elite. Um, and Mary was one to not hide uh, her feelings when she felt offended. And in some cases, she overcompensates, I believe. Uh, she decides to redecorate the White House almost immediately after she moved in. Uh, the White House did need it. Uh, it had not gone, um, undergone any extensive repairs in a while. And so Congress had given her about $20,000 to do this. Uh, she runs through that money in about six months. It's supposed to last her four years. Uh, the White House does look much better. Uh, in fact, there are newspapers that praise her for the work. Um, but once uh, people are aware how much money she had spent, things quickly change. So she's no longer this country bumpkin, right, of a rail-splitting husband. She is now, one newspaper calls her, the American Queen, and that is not a compliment. <laughs> uh, so they're in Washington, and uh, from, from the very beginning... Uh, of his term, uh, there was controversy and turmoil. Right. They're fighting the Civil War the whole time they're there. And what is her role? What is her place? Um, this is uh, th this is the darker period of, of, of President Lincoln's life. Mm -hmm. How? Where was she in all of this? So Mary Lincoln tries to play a role in several ways. One, she was used to having an impact on his decisions, um, on the choices he made, and she gets almost completely shut out once they make it to the White House. Uh, in fact, his secretaries uh, that really uh, kind of dictated access to the president will refer to her as the Hellcat. And there are references to the fact that she wants to talk to Lincoln about some of the political decisions he has to make. Um, and they see this as extraordinarily unfit for a woman to do. But Mary Lincoln had been doing it their whole relationship. Um, of course, she has to run the White House. Uh, so there are receptions. Uh, there are things like picking out the China. Um, and she has to tiptoe around this very carefully because, of course, no one has ever hosted an event in the White House in the middle of a civil war. So how do you do this? So there are critics on both sides. She's doing too much. She's doing too little. She does things like supporting the soldiers, um, going to hospitals. In fact, there's several accounts uh, where she writes letters uh, dictate, dictated to her by wounded soldiers. Um, but, of course, the tragedies that the nation is experiencing in microcosm, Mary Lincoln's experiencing, one of the major controversies of the Lincoln presidency is Lincoln's own family, and by that I mean Mary's. So Mary's part of a large family. There are 14 Todd children living in 1861 when the Civil War begins. Out of those 14 Todd siblings, eight of them side with the Confederacy, openly so. Uh, Mary had four brothers who fought for the South. Uh, two of those will actually be killed fighting in the Confederate service, including her youngest brother, Alex, who she was very fond of, very close to. Um, she had one of her closest sisters, Emily, married a Confederate uh, brigadier general from Kentucky. Um, so these controversies are swelling throughout the press. And there are questions even from, from some critics about Mary's own loyalty. You know, was she a secret Confederate there in the White House? Of course, as a woman in her day, she um, wasn't allowed to vote. 
She, of course, was never allowed to make a political speech. There was no way to express her own political feelings. But I was going to um, ask if they, um, at, at family dinners or visits <laughs> maybe from the family uh, from Kentucky up to uh, Washington, do, do you imagine that, they're, um, that they were heated, that they were controversial, that they're, uh, uh, was the president uh, uh, available to hear those uh, arguments about the Confederacy? Uh, what, 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 what do we know about that part? Well, we know very um, a lot about family dinners because there's really only one that happens. Uh, of course, um, a whole lot of Todd's are not invited to the White House, especially the Confederate ones. Uh, there is one sister that does just show up in Washington, and she is not received by the Lincolns in the White House. Uh, but there is another sister, uh, Mary's younger sister, Emily. Um, she's the one who'd married Ben Hardin Helm, who was from Elizabethtown, Kentucky. Uh, he becomes a brigadier general in the Confederate Army. And the Lincolns had always been close to the Helms. In fact, Emily had lived with them as a little girl for a while. Uh, Lincoln had offered... Uh, her husband Ben, the position of paymaster for the Union Army, mm. uh, but Ben declines to join the Confederacy. Ben is killed in 1863 at the Battle of Chickamauga. Emily's a young widow in her mid-twenties. She has three small children. She wants to return uh, to Kentucky. She was in Georgia following her husband's army when Ben's killed. So after his funeral, she wants to return back to Kentucky to be with her mother, to be with the Todds, but Kentucky's a Union state. For Emily, to make it to Kentucky, she has to take an oath of allegiance, and she refuses to do it. Uh, the soldiers, they know very well that she's Lincoln's sister-in-law. Uh, they telegraph the White House, what do we do with Emily? Lincoln responds with one sentence, send her to me. Uh, so Emily, she takes her daughter Catherine with her. They go to the White House in December of 1863, and they're guest in Washington uh, for that month. And you can imagine what this has to do to Washington society. They all know that there's a Confederate general's widow living in the White House in the darkest days of the Civil War. In fact, there are senators that come to the White House to tell Lincoln that he has to send Emily away, and he refuses to do it. Um, Emily later recounts that experience of being in the White House with the Lincolns. Um, she never um, talks about... Um, the war as an outright conversation. She said that she and Mary always sort of footed around it. She talks about Mary lighting up um, the rooms on the bottom floor of the White House so that Emily can see them. Uh, she talks about how they would sit quietly and they would cry, although they would never talk about exactly uh, what had brought about their tears. Uh, there was one time, though, uh, when the war kind of spilled into their private life there in the White House. Um, Emily's daughter, Catherine, uh, was looking at pictures with the Lincoln's youngest son, Tad. So these two cousins are sitting in front of a fireplace one night. Um, and Tad is showing her various generals, uh, various notable personalities of the day. And a picture of Lincoln comes through that stack. And Tad says, this is Pa, he's president. Uh, Catherine, a Confederate, said, no, that's not the president. Jeff Davis is president. Uh, and Tad says, no, Pa, Abraham Lincoln is president. And so the two begin to fight. Mm -hmm. uh, and Abraham Lincoln goes down, takes Catherine on his knee and says, Tad, I will be your president. And Catherine, I'll be your Uncle Lincoln. Hmm. Uh, so always the peacemaker, yeah. uh, Lincoln. Uh, so a very um, 
you can imagine what that must have been like, Uh sort of emotionally, uh, to see your family separated the same way the nation was itself. How much do we assume uh, Mary Todd uh, had influenced uh, the president on his uh, slavery uh, position? Um, we had colonization that that seemed to be uh, in favor among some, uh, mm-hmm. maybe among um, uh, if you weren't out and out in favor of it, colonization seemed to be the the answer. But but how how much did you think Mary Todd influenced uh, Lincoln's final decisions on slavery? That is a complex question, and one sadly we'll probably never be able to answer with any sort of definitive proof unless something comes up. We don't know Mary's attitude about slavery. Uh, We don't know what she thought about the institution. She never talks about emancipation um, in any of her correspondence that survives until after Lincoln's death. Uh, And, of course, she sees it as her husband's great legacy. What Mary Lincoln thought about slavery growing up among slaveholders, among a slave-owning family, uh, amongst enslaved Kentuckians, we don't know. She never talks about it. She never writes about it. We can assume a few things. One, um, her father did contribute to a colonization society. Um, They were very close uh, in terms of their other political beliefs to Henry Clay. But we also know that her father was a major supporter of slavery. Uh, In fact, in one of his political debates, he has been accused by Wycliffe as being an abolitionist. And he very clearly states that no, he is not. If he was an abolitionist, he wouldn't hold slaves. We also know there were women in Mary's life, particularly uh, her maternal grandmother, who in their wills emancipate those they had enslaved, uh, probably because of their religious beliefs as Presbyterians. Um, But we also know uh, that Mary Lincoln um, idealized um, slavery in Kentucky in some ways. There is one letter uh, where she's a little envious that some of her southern sisters get to keep enslaved individuals in their house mm. while she has to deal with what she referred to as the wild Irish. Mm. Uh, so mm-hmm. uh, Mary Lincoln's relationship with slavery, it would be unfair to cast her as sort of a proto-abolitionist because she wasn't. Mm. Uh, what do you? What have you learned from Dr. Fleshner, who will be at the uh, symposium? Uh, her book, Mrs. Lincoln and Mrs. Keckley, The Remarkable Story, of the friendship between the first lady and a former slave. And, and what do you, not only from her book, which I'm sure you've read, mm-hmm. uh, what, what else do you think she might uh, be able to, uh, uh, to tell the audience uh, at the symposium on November 2nd? The book is a wonderful piece. Um, Fleischner, um, her PhD is actually in English, uh, so she's the only non-historian in the group. And so she's really looking at the text itself. Um, of what exists. So what she wrote was a dual biography. So you have these two women who are coming from such different um, lives. Um, Elizabeth Keckley, uh, enslaved, um, traded amongst families. Eventually she's able to purchase her own freedom um, and establishes herself um, as kind of the dressmaker in Washington. And Mary Lincoln um, 
um, hires her, uh, purchases her services to make her dresses in Washington, and they eventually mm -hmm. become close through this relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and you can see the racialized dynamic between these two women, because it's also the story of um, um, a servant and, the per and their mm -hmm. employer. Um, but it does extend beyond that. Um, Mary is emotionally uh, reliant upon Elizabeth Keckley in a lot of ways. How so? Um, I think Elizabeth Keckley becomes the one person that Mary feels like she can trust mm -hmm. inside of the White House. Um, Elizabeth Keckley is there almost constantly. Her work goes well beyond making dresses for Mary Lincoln. Uh, and then after Lincoln's assassination, Elizabeth Keckley um, sort of arranges a lot of Mary's um, travel lodgings uh, in Chicago after the war. But this relationship breaks apart, and that's what um, Jennifer will talk about during the symposium uh, when Elizabeth Keckley writes her memoir of the White House. And Mary is greatly offended by this. She feels betrayed by Elizabeth mm. Keckley. And Elizabeth Keckley knows that Mary Lincoln will probably feel this way when the, when the memoir comes out, even though it's not particularly um, negative or anything like that towards the Lincolns. Um, and, so it's, uh, and so that relationship ends when Elizabeth Keckley basically tries to do something that is um, independent of Mary Lincoln. Right? Is there one example uh, that you could give uh, of why uh, Mary Todd Lincoln felt that uh, Keckley had, had not written, what, uh, the truth or? I don't think it was that Mary Lincoln uh, disagreed with anything that Keckley wrote. I think it was more the fact that Keckley wrote it all, mm -hmm. that Keckley talked about you know, their private conversations in the White House. So I don't know that it was any that there was any sort of one particular sort of scandalous tidbit that Mary mm -hmm. was embarrassed by because it's not a particularly scandalous book. Um, I think it's more this sense of um, there was an assumed there should have been an assumed silence from Elizabeth Keckley, uh, but Elizabeth Keckley has an important story to tell, and yeah. you know we're glad she told it. Uh, yeah. But Mary Lincoln was not. Well, uh, Jonathan uh, Coleman, uh, who is the curator and assistant director at the Mary Todd Lincoln House in, in Lexington, has been talking about the Mary Todd Lincoln Bicentennial Symposium, November 2nd from 9 to 4 at the William T. Young Library at the University of Kentucky. It sounds fascinating. Oh, thank you. And if you could leave us with, with one juicy tidbit about, uh, <clears throat> we didn't ever address really the, uh, the mad part of that. Uh-huh. Will that be discussed? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, one of the things that is most clearly known about Mary Lincoln in terms of public perception of her um, is always that she was insane. Um, and it is still one of the most hotly debated topics in not only Lincoln history, but in American history. What was the state of Mary Lincoln's mental health? Uh, a decade after Lincoln's presidency, she is declared insane by a jury, uh, and she is institutionalized for four months. Uh, so those are the basic facts. All historians know that. Exactly what brought about that insanity trial, which was actually started by her son, Robert, um, is so hotly debated. Um, and the only honest answer that really we can give you is we don't know. We don't know the state of Mary Lincoln's mental health in 1874. Um, we know a few things. We know she was having hallucinations. Mary herself says she is 
um, although she attributes it to the medication she'd been given. Uh, we know her son Robert's concerned, uh, afraid she could embarrass herself, but particularly afraid uh, that she could bankrupt herself, that she would spend all the family money. Um, and Robert Lincoln um, begins these legal proceedings without his mother's knowledge. Uh, he picks the judge, he picks the jury, he picks Mary's defense lawyer. Uh, the trial lasts a couple of hours. Uh, the next morning, Mary's taken off to an insane asylum against her will. And it's by her own power that she's released. She begins a letter writing campaign, uh, especially with a good friend who is the first female lawyer in the state of Illinois. Uh, and eventually she gets permission to leave the asylum. She goes back to court, she gathers her own lawyers together, and has herself declared competent. And we have been debating the question ever since. Uh, and so the assumption held by most of the public that yes, she was crazy, is actually a really flat perception. There's so much going on in the life of Mary Lincoln in 1875. Makes well, for a great story. And fascinating. And uh, I must add that uh, Kentucky Humanities is very proud, uh, very pleased to be a, a very small part of the symposium on November 2nd, and we're looking forward to it. And once again, thanks for being our guest on Think Humanities. Thank you, Bill. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities and is a production of the University of Kentucky College of Arts and Sciences. This podcast was created at the Media Depot. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud.